Ahab and Jezebel, two names that have become synonymous with evil and idolatry. But how did these two get in this position, and what brought about their untimely end? This is the first part in the Rise and Fall of the House of Ahab trilogy. I'm Drew Hill, and you're listening to That Bible Story You've Probably Never Heard. Based on 1 Kings 15-16, through 16, this is part one, The Rise of the House of Ahab. Before we can get to Ahab, we need some context for this story. At this time, Israel was split into two separate entities, the northern half known most often as Israel and later as Samaria, and the southern half known as Judah. During Solomon's reign, they were one unified nation. After Solomon turned to idols, God promised that he would lose ten of the tribes of Israel. During the reign of his son, Rehoboam, this happened as Jeroboam, one of Solomon's servants, became the king of the northern tribes. God had told Jeroboam that if he served God, his family would have a lasting reign. But Jeroboam was convinced that if the people went to the temple in Jerusalem to sacrifice to God, Rehoboam would convince them to return, and Jeroboam would lose his throne. So he concocted a system of worshipping two golden calves. Because of the sin, God said his entire family would be destroyed, and it happened in the reign of his son, just as God said. Baasha revolted and assassinated Jeroboam's son, then destroyed his family and took the throne. However, Baasha did all the same things Jeroboam had done, and God promised a similar fate. God exalted you out of the dust and made you prince of Israel. But after you killed Jeroboam, you have done the same things he did, and you've made my people Israel to sin. Now your whole house will die, and those who die in the city will the dogs eat, and those who die in the fields will the birds eat. Baasha died, and his son, Elah, began to reign. Elah was just as wicked as his father. The prophecy was no secret. And in a time defined by assassinations and conspiracies, the prophecy had to hold some interest. Two years later, Omri, the captain of the host, was sitting by a fire near Gibbethon with one of his lower captains. How ironic. What? Here we are besieging Gibbethon, two years into Elah's reign. Why is that so ironic? Nadab, Jeroboam's son, two years into his reign, was killed right here, besieging Gibbethon. While our king sits at home getting drunk... Probably with his best drinking partner, Arza. You know the prophecy. Just as Jeroboam's house was destroyed, so will Baasha's. Possibly, if you buy into what that guy said. Timing is critical in these things. Two years into the sun's reign, same battle, same prophecy, everything is lining up. Again, though, you're going by the words of one of the crazy prophets of Jehovah. They should just keep their kind in Judah where they belong, if you ask me. I don't care what god it is. Whichever one, they are orchestrating events in a way that is impossible to deny. Plus, I've heard all the rumors. What rumors? Just because I'm the captain of the host doesn't mean I don't hear the things that all my lowest soldiers hear. I know that there are players jockeying into position for the throne, just in case Elah should happen to die. Tibni, Zimri, they're all talking. So what? Elah is in Tirzah, and they're all in Gibbethon. Not Zimri. Why not? He commands half our chariots. He should be here. He asked for a week's leave to go see his family in Tirzah. And you let him? Why would you do that? Because he asked. But if he kills Elah, he'll be the king. Maybe, for a little while. What do you mean? When the ordinary people hear, some may not care. But when the army hears that their captain was away from the battle and killed their king, how do you think they will react? With vengeance. 
Indeed. And once they have exacted their vengeance, who will be left to take the throne? Ah, I see your reasoning, Omri. The head of the army has the power. I will reign in the end. Well, we'll see if Zimri is as predictable as you think. Well, just as they thought, Elah was indeed drinking himself drunk. But at Arza's house, not his own. Arza was his steward, but both loved drinking more than ruling the country. Zimri arrived at the palace, but was sent on to Arza's house shortly. Servant, open up and let me in. Were you invited? I don't need an invitation. I'm Zimri, captain of half his chariots, and I have an urgent message from the battle at Gibbethon. Well, Captain, I can let you in, but the king is not in, shall we say, the best state to receive a message. I'll give it to him if he's had a hundred drinks. This news is of the utmost importance. Whatever you say. The servant let Zimri in, and he marched straight into the dining hall where Arza and Elah were laughing loudly. <laughs> and then, King, here's the best part. The man said, I already have one. <laughs> Great King, I have a message for you from the front. Okay. Who are you again? I'm Zimri, captain of half your chariots. Oh, that's right. Well, go on. Put that drink down and listen to me. How dare you talk to your king that way? Because you are no longer my king. Look at you. While your soldiers are risking their lives for Israel, you're here getting drunk. No good king would do that. And so, it is time for a new king. What? Zimri didn't wait any longer. He drew his sword and lunged at Elah, driving it deep into his chest. Elah slumped over, dead. Zimri glanced over at the cowering Arza. I could kill you too, but I think I'll let you live to see my power, you pathetic excuse of a steward. Oh, thank you. Thank you, your highness. Zimri strode over to the palace. Captain, you're back so soon. Have the trumpets blown. Why? To celebrate the reign of a new king. What? What about Elah? Elah is dead. I will reign now. Do as I say or you will share his fate. Whatever you say, king. The trumpets were blown and the people in the city rushed to the palace to see their new king. People of Israel, Elah is dead. This city will have a drunkard king no longer. I will reign. Guards, gather the whole family of Baasha and Elah here. Bring their friends, everyone connected with that wicked family. There can be no rivals to my reign. The guards went and did as Zimri commanded. Zimri proceeded to kill each one just as the prophet had said. The messenger ran out to the army assembled at Gibbethon, but the reaction would be a little different than Zimri expected. People of Israel, I bring urgent news from Terza. Zimri has conspired against King Elah and killed him. He is sitting on the throne. How dare he? He should have been here at the battle. He's committed treason. He should be executed. Hang on. We must have order, whatever we decide. We need a leader, a new king, to lead the people. Now, Tibni, let's not jump into this. First things first. Amri moved to the center of the circle, shouting to make sure he was heard. Are we going to return to Tirza and take vengeance for our king? Yes. Who should lead the people? Amri, you are our captain. You will be our new king. Yes, Amri will lead us. He gave a knowing look at Tibni, his rival. Tibni barely held in his rage, but turned to prepare to pack up the camp. Amri glanced up at the stars. The time had come. Zimri waited impatiently to see what the reaction of the people at Gibbethon would be. The next day, he saw a messenger coming and went out to meet him. 
Messenger, what are the news? The men of Israel are on their way, with Omri as their king. This is not the news Zimri was hoping for. He'd hoped the people would willingly submit to his rule. Looking around the city, he knew he wouldn't have enough men to hold the city for long. Three days passed. Then over the hill, he saw the distant banners of the army. By the end of the day, they were besieging the city. As the days passed, Zimri could see his army was growing weaker and weaker. By the seventh day, the army was nearly prepared to break through. Zimri, worn out and feeling defeated, returned to the royal palace. Look at this! All of this was mine! Mine! But now Omri will take it away from me. He'll take my head, too. Why should he be king? Why should he have this palace? Zimri looked up on the walls, spying the torches illuminating the great hall. He reached up and grabbed one off the wall, and swept it down toward the curtains running along the edge of the room. He then threw it next to a tapestry at the base of a large pillar as the room went up in flames. If I can't have it, then no one will! The palace burnt down around him. The army outside could see the flames leaping into the air, but there was nothing anyone could do. The palace burnt to the ground. Zimri had escaped Omri's hands. The people did not exactly get to revenge Elah, but it was close enough. Zimri was dead, and it was time to return to normal. But the clear-cut decision on who the next king was was about to be undercut by a familiar foe. Are the plans in place? Yes, Timni. The people are just waiting for your orders. Omri thinks he's got it all, but he's got another thing coming. After retaking the city, it seemed like things should return to normal. People had already made Omri king. However, Tibni and his followers had worked hard, sowing doubt among the people about Omri's abilities. As Omri entered the city, the army began to crack. It's time to rebuild what Zimri has brought down in a week. Yes, but you're not leading that rebuild. What do you mean? The people chose me. They didn't have all the facts. They were in the middle of putting down a rebellion by Zimri. Now we should choose a new king. And who is your choice? Isn't it obvious who the king should be? Tibni, you're a traitor. Guards, arrest that man! To Omri's amazement, some of the guards went and stood next to Tibni, swords drawn. Omri glared across at Tibni, who eyed the divisions of the men with himself and Omri. It looks like we're about equal, Omri. The time's not right to fight now. Tomorrow, then? That gives you time to gather your traitors together. Yes, tomorrow. A fair fight in the field of battle to determine Israel's king. If you have any men left. All we'll see. Timney and his men walked off. One of the captains walked over to Omri. I knew there was talk, but I didn't realize so many of the men would follow him. Some who supported me just a week ago. I hope there's men left tomorrow. There will be. They know where the real power is. What is it you once said? He who has the army has the power? The head of the army. I have far more experience than Tibni. The man's incompetent. But he's a slick talker. We'll see if people see through it tomorrow. The two factions met in the field outside the city the next day. Just as Omri had predicted, about half of the men stayed with him. The battle was fierce, but the army of Omri ultimately won the victory, with Omri killing Tibni and eliminating the final competitor to his reign. Now, finally, I have won the throne. But there is no throne. Zimri burned it down. Tirza will be my capital, temporarily, but I have a plan for a bright future. The hill of Samaria would be a perfect place to build. A city could be fortified with ease, and the view, oh, it will show anyone passing by that the city is splendid. Such a hill will fetch a large price. Not a problem for a new king. Omri did buy the hill and built the city of Samaria. One day he was buried there. 
Eventually, Israel and Samaria became synonymous, showing Omri's impact. Israel even was known as the land of Omri to the Assyrians years after his death. Omri built and conquered for Israel, but if Omri really cared about the prophecies, he didn't act like it. Instead of turning back to God, Omri went even deeper into Jeroboam's sins, becoming more evil than any before him. When he died, his son Ahab took the throne and took it a step farther. After marrying Jezebel, Ahab also delved into Baal worship. The wicked duo reigned for 22 years and was politically and economically one of the high points of northern Israel's history. Spiritually, however, the reign marked the darkest days of Israel and set up a rivalry with Elijah, the prophet of the one true God. One day, though, those sins would have consequences. God was still in control, and God is still in control today. Even when it seems like the wicked prosper and have complete control, remember that Judgment Day is coming. Though times get hard, it will still be better to be with God than against Him in the end. Next time, in that Bible story you've probably never heard, part two of the rise and fall of the house of Ahab. The time of God's judgment on the house of Ahab has finally come, and now you will anoint Jehu. You will avenge my prophets and all my servants. Jehu is king! On to vengeance! Are you here for peace, Jehu? What peace? So long as the adultery and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel are so many. Had Zimri peace? When he killed his master? Throw her down! Wait until you see my zeal for the Lord. I'm going to serve Baal much, much more. What about your zeal for the Lord? This is the day Baal dies in Israel. What will you serve? The Fall, the House of Ahab. Today's show, The Rise of the House of Ahab, was written, edited, directed, and produced by Drew Hill. Music composed by Drew Hill. In the cast you heard Durant Hill, Jackson Hill, Landon Hill, Mike Claggett, James Gans, Michael Johnson, Timothy Johnson, Bailey Williams, Lisa Roberts, Dennis Stacy, and myself, your host, Drew Hill. Tune in next time for part two of The Rise and Fall of the House of Ahab, The Fall of the House of Ahab. Good night.